in, in, in terms of the human relationships, the juxtaposition of one person to another, the form and the content. Why do you knock off the bullshit and get to the point? Hey, kids. It's time for Pizza and Pop Culture with our Rogues Gallery of Talent. Coming at you on location from Eastside Pizza in Wallingford, Connecticut. Now serving up Geek Pizza with extra cheese. Hello, hello. We are back. Show 9, we're a little late. I know we were supposed to drop one uh, for July 3rd, <laughs> Independence Day, but drop you know... Um, Shite happens, man. Oopsie doodles. Oopsie doodles. He dropped one key. Doodles there. Yeah. So um, we're back anyway, and uh, we have our uh, cavalcade, our our cast of thousands here. Um, This week we have with us uh, Mr. Jude Bryden back. My God, it's full of stars. (laughs) Next to him is the dashing and effervescent Edson Gome. Hello, everybody. And next to him is our old standby and fountain of knowledge, Mr. Peter Bradley. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And I would be the host this week, Mr. Shitty Chicken. (laughs) Just a quick reminder before we, uh, let's get our housekeeping out of the way here. Um, Our website, pizzapopculture.com. You can find us on the stupid social media that we all hate, Facebook, Twitter, and whatnot. Um, and you know, we're looking for subs here. We need some subs. It's a rough climb to that first 100. So, you know, tell all your friends and get them to hit subscribe, even if they won't listen, cause it will help. So you should that, listen. Well, you should listen, but you, you know, gotta listen. You're missing out. Well, if you can hear us now, you're obviously listening. That's get true. That's very true. And, loved ones. and, and people we have the love. secret to life after this show. And mm. click. They've just tuned out. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was trying to keep him in. Yeah, I know. It, you know, it's a rough life. So um, this first segment, we're going to kind of do not so much re, um, up-to-date news, because by the time this gets posted, I'm looking at it later this week. We're recording this July the 7th. Um, we're just going to talk about things that have kind of hung around in the news, maybe, for the last couple of weeks that we deem um, semi-important on a regular-ish basis. Uh, before though, um, and Jude's been part of this with me, um, we lost two of our, our new friends, uh, last month in two weeks apart, literally 14 days apart. Um, Denny O'Neill and mm-hmm. Joe Sinnott. Um, now Jude and I, if you don't know, you've heard the commercial playing ad nauseum on this show. I've been working on a documentary for the last four and a half years called the, uh, Charlton movie. It's about Charlton comics from uh, Derby, Connecticut. And actually, Pete, you've been on a few of our shoots as well. I have been. I have um, and, and part of what has been great about the project is that we have formed relationships with a lot of the comic book creators that we feature in the film. And um, two of them, uh, one was my personal hero uh, growing up, and I just couldn't wait to, to meet him. And I remember the day he first called me on my phone and I was pumping gas on the Berlin Turnpike, and uh, the phone rang, and I pulled it out of my pocket, and it said Denny O'Neill, and I had to compose myself before I answered it. <laughs> and uh, the man had me laughing for an hour on the phone. He's yeah. just—he was a brilliant man. Uh, he passed on June 11th, 3,435 story credits. Wow. 55 years in comics. His first credit was. Millie, Tony, and Chili's Sensational Sports Clothes from Millie the Model, Marvel Comics. He did, it was a one-page story. That really rolls off the tongue. It really does. <laughs> uh, he, he did that in July of 1966. 
And his last credit will be uh, this month in July. It's a one of the DC facsimile issues. Yep, it's a reprint yep. of Green Lantern 85 he did with Neil Adams. If people who don't know which Green Lantern that is, it's got a famous cover in which he screams, my God, my ward's a junkie. Yeah, that was such an amazing story. I can't believe they delved so deep into that at, at that time. You know, it was like 1970? 71. It's, uh, yeah, actually, I have it, was, it right here. It was June 24th, 1971. Was, they, they really went into the <laughs> nitty-gritty of, of, of drugs. I mean, uh, at first, I, I think there was something with... Um, he was saying, "Oh, I'm I'm undercover," or, or you know, uh, Roy was saying, "I'm undercover," but, you know, trying to make up for the fact that he was doing, you know, shooting up and uh, right. and you know, just had to admit it, and he was hooked. Denny and Neil were uh, notorious for what they did with Batman and, and the Green yeah, Lantern, Batman. Green Arrow yeah. stories back then. So uh, Denny, um, he was the first one to agree to do the documentary, and uh, I love that man. And, and has spending a day in his house was um, something I'll never forget. And then two weeks later, on June 25th, we lost Joe Sinnott. Right. Uh, Joe was uh, actually became a really good friend of myself and my co-producer, Jackie's. Um, we would go have lunch with him a lot. and We did a few Comic-Cons with him. We did panels with him. We, we were very close with Joe, and um, we were hoping that we'd get to see him before he... He spends the winters in Florida with his daughter, and we were hoping we could get to see him this summer uh, somehow, you know if COVID would go away and he, uh, he didn't make it. Yeah. Joe has 9,088 story credits to his Ooh, name, wow. 72 Amazing. years in comics. And he, and he still was doing stuff. He was the, still doing, he was still end. working right up till, uh, till the yeah. end. Uh, his first credit is called factory girl, a true first love story. It was a seven page story that he did. in uh, first love illustrated for Harvey comics in 1949. And he inked over Tom Gill pencils for that. And his last credit, uh, right up to now, it's it's this month, um, Nervous Service from Archie and Me. It's a five-page story from Archie Double Digest, number 310, July 2020 is the credit, and inked pencils by Al Hartley. So these uh, factoids came from comics.org database. So, um, yeah, Joe... We love you, man. Just think about that. How many people can you say had a career over 70 years? 72 years. 72 years. And 55 for Denny. That's And even when we interviewed him, I'll tell you, he, he had the spirit of a 25-year-old or whatever, 20-year-old. Oh, he was, I mean, enthusiastic still about doing what he loved to do, which is pretty much, you know, uh, still in, still working on Spider-Man in the, what, yes, Sunday, in the, in the Sunday comics. Sunday. So anybody who's opened up a newspaper and read the comics and, and saw Spider-Man, he worked on that. Right. Yeah, he was inking that. And uh, he's just a wonderful guy. And the last time I was with him, I actually, I, we took a photo with him and I said, hey, Joe, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. Do you need anything? And he said, get me a new body, Keith. <laughs> and it was horribly sad because he was in a wheelchair and, you know, we knew. Yeah, we knew. So um, one other death that happened just uh, yesterday, I believe. Uh, Ennio Morricone, the famous oh, prolific right, right, film right. composer um, who did scores for all the Sergio Leone westerns. He didn't do... Yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Ah. Yeah, he scored for wow. John Carpenter's The Thing. Is that too loud? Sorry. John Carpenter's <laughs> The <laughs> Thing. And uh, most recently Don't. known for The Hateful Eight, which he was... Hateful Eight? Gave, given an Oscar for. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, you know, everybody knows John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith and 
uh, Alan Silvestri and James Horner and guys like that, or who, who's um, the Batman? Boom, 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 boom. Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer, or Hans Danny Elfman. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but uh, NEO laps them all. That's so, right. um, you know, <laughs> what he had 200 and something films composed, or 500 films. I, I forgot what the number was. So, uh, speaking of Batman, heavy rumors. Uh, Have you seen yeah. these? We got, uh, before we get into, uh, in, into the Bat rumors, I'd like to also report on yet another death. Oh. Officially, uh, as, of, as of this month, as of this month's Funai, which manufactures VCRs for oh. chi- in, in China, <laughs> uh, the, the VCR is officially going away. Oh. It started oh, in no way. 77. Uh, Funai, which makes uh, VCRs for Sanyo in China, uh, the, the units sold uh, 15 million units last year. And has dropped to seventy-five, uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand units. So basically, they've they've opted that uh, that VHS has finally finally died. Oh. It had its lifespan. Let's uh, let's have a moment, shall we? Yeah. But you know what? Like anything, that all that vintage stuff always comes back. Well, yeah, <laughs> just like record players. I think it's funny because how many in the last couple of years you have uh, younger production people asking, how do I make this look like VHS? <laughs> yeah, right. And my answer on forums That's is always hilarious. like, record it to VHS. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and as of, as of this month, that is going to be, that's a thing of the past. That's funny. Wow. Do you think VHS tapes are worth money now? Some oh. of them already are. We got those old Disney oh, uh, yeah. movies, you know. Yeah, some old Godzilla tapes go for hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. Wow. Yeah. So hold on to your VHS tapes. They might be worth money in about a hundred years. Okay. Uh, moving right along. Um, bat rumors. Bat rumors. Bat rumors. Not just have we heard recently that Michael Keaton may be returning. Um, oh, also God. now, Is Batfleck. <laughs> no, Batfleck. 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 Yep. You're wearing the shirt, Batfleck. I know. Um, yep. Out of a claw so machine. Apparently, the rumor is that uh, they're in talks with Michael Keaton, and he might come and play Batman again in the Flash movie, and they're going to do the Flashpoint Paradox right. story. Um, which will introduce the multiverse to the DCEU, and then they want to do a Batman Beyond spinoff from there with Keaton. And then hot on the heels of that comes Batfleck news that he might do a movie for HBO Max. God. Um, And then I read yesterday that if the Justice League Zack Snyder cut is successful, they're going to let Zack Snyder take the DCEU back over again. Right, right, and that that goes along with uh, Ben Affleck becoming Batman. Those two go together. Right. Now I've actually heard heard both that he is coming back and that he absolutely is not coming back. I've not heard the not part. Um, I think that that only like one one or two sources are actually re- reporting that he's is coming back, and everybody jumped in on that, and that he's he's actually said in some cases that no, no, I I, I said I'm not coming back, and I meant it. But the Snyder cut is going to be is going to be the the, the, the tell all. Tell all, right? Now, do you think Zack Snyder is going to keep that dark Watchmen tone with everything, or do you think he'll have to like lighten it up a little bit? Well, he has said that that his Snyder cut is going to be with absolutely no studio interference. Right. So it's going to be however he wants it. If he wants it dark, he's shutting the lights off, man. And I, I've I've also heard to that point that um, you know he got dinged a lot for Superman because Superman is not even close to what Superman should no. be. But he said he was building toward that and that his cut of Justice League is going to bring Superman to that point so that Man of Steel 2 would bring him to be 
more of the Christopher Reeve style Superman. Oh, okay. That this is a, a story arc that he had planned for Superman that he never got to finish. Well, let's hope. No, so. exactly. Speaking of old superheroes returning into their tights, uh, Tobey Maguire. Did you hear this one? I no, one. please no. don't tell me. As of today, Bounding Into Comics dropped a story. Uh, MCU Spider-Verse movie will see Spider-Man die and Miles Morales replace him. So it says uh, uh, this guy Mike Sutton had a scoop like on the 4th of July <laughs> <laughs> that Spider-Man will die and Miles Morales will take up the reins in a Spider-Verse film. The Spider-Man that will die will not be Tom Holland's Peter Parker, but Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man from the original Sam Raimi films. The rumor details that a Spider-Verse live-action crossover film featuring Maguire, Garfield, and Holland's Spider-Man character. Toby Maguire's version of the character will end up dying. Goes on to say that uh, Mike Sutton says he revealed that curtain plans were to bring back Toby for one last swing is the amazing arachnid uh, for Into the Spider-Verse, which could have him teaming up with Holland and Garfield, quite possibly under the supervision of original Spider-Man director Sam Raimi, and that Toby will die in uh, endgame heroic fashion. But then they do that story in Into the Spider-Verse? Well, yeah, but uh, but Peter, Peter Parker, Parker didn't die. He, well, he one was Peter, fat and old, oh and God. yeah. One oh, Peter, oh, that's right. The, the Chris Peter Pine Parker one did, the, right? Um, of Miles Morales's Earth died. Right, right. Which was Chris Pine. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That I kind of like that. Yeah, I was like, well, why it, not? It sounds. I haven't heard that, but that definitely sounds like if they could get it to work. They should call it Spider Verse Cash Grab because that's clearly what they're doing there. Of course. Well, I think a lot of it is because when something like the Spider Man property, which it, they sold the rights to Sony, and Sony rebooted it twice before then making this deal with Marvel and rebooting it for a third time. There's confusion out there as to why there's been so many different Spider-Mans, and this would be a chance to kind of fix that and let everybody know. Well, like I was saying, it seems like it's like a crisis on infinite Earths, right? Where oh, they totally have to is. keep on recycling it, it and making and having a, it make sense. It's a multiverse, right? Which yeah. is, seems to be what is in vogue now. I mean, you know, with, right. with uh, Doctor Strange is going to inter is going to introduce it into the Marvel the multiverse, right, 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 right. And right. now DC wants to jump on that bad, that bandwagon, and we can already already do it with Spider Man. Well, DC was already doing it on television in the Flash Arrowverse. That's they were true. already doing Quite that. So, yeah. well, and, and actually, Avengers. Endgame kind of opened up the multiverse in Marvel yeah. already too. So, but DC Comics does that every what ten years with their comics. They just well, and whenever the you, whenever you want to retcon something and start over, you just yeah alternate universe. Which I, I know you want to do the Doctor Who, but I want to skip since we're talking about alternate universes. Let's skip to the Star Wars one, Ooh, that's a which good I can't wait for. <laughs> <laughs> if rumors uh, these rumors abound that Kathleen Kennedy's contract runs out next year and they're not going to renew. Let's pray. That they will retcon the entire sequel trilogy into an alternate universe and uh, using something called the Veil of the Force. Yeah, that's from Star Wars Rebels, which was a, uh, a, a cartoon show from a few years back. And it's kind of like this giant dimension full of mirrors that basically you can jump back and forth into different points in time. So I guess what they're going to be doing is jumping back to before Palpatine shows up and not make these the the uh, sequel movies happen. Right. Apparently, um, unbeknownst to Jar Jar Abrams in the um, in the in the last movie, the the set the art directors and the set people hid little things in the background that could open up this possibility. He had, was unaware they put mirrors and stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. And then, of course, this is all rumor. But you know, it's. 
you hear it over and over on multiple channels, so uh, who knows? I believe the uh, the uh, this came from the future ruler of Earth, uh, Dictor Doomcock. Van, D- yeah. Dictor Van Doomcock. Yes, yes, yes. I saw that. That's right. So let's let's. He's been pretty good on his spoilers before. Yeah. Yeah. So let's 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 hope that he's right because those are bad. Yeah. They're so bad. They're horrible. And uh, before we run out of time, uh, this one, Pete, you can take the wheel. Uh, is Doctor Who recasting Jodie Whittaker out as the 13th Doctor? And does uh, showrunner Chris Chibnall go with him? Um, her? I certainly hope so. I definitely hope. Because uh, not that uh, Jodie Whittaker is a bad Doctor. Now, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, at least of the, the, the new Who from 2005 on. And I think everybody's done a fantastic job as the Doctor. And Jodie Whittaker's, she's good. She's good. Uh, unfortunately, she's dealing with some really horrible material, and that that's squarely on Chris Chibnall's shoulders. And he turned it like into the magic school bus, and he gets scolded every episode for oh, corporations are bad, and 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 global warming is bad, and it's 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 you just, just get scolded at every single episode. More so, identity politics. Exactly. And so it's uh, plus it's got a lousy lousy design aesthetic to it and everything. It just I really hope that, that, that this rumor is true. Well, we will find out. But uh, after several years, though, unfortunately. But right. soon, soon, right. hopefully. Right. Um, anybody else with anything? I, I we got quick, just under two minutes. When um, you guys heard of IDW Comics bringing together uh, Back to the Future yeah. and Transformers. Oof. Have you covered this They're going to do another mashup series? Mashup series and a new Autobot called Gigawatt, who, which is the DeLorean, <laughs> time-traveling DeLorean. Oh, God. That thing sold out in about wow. five seconds I out there. I didn't hear this. That's is Bob hilarious. Gale, is Bob Gale involved writing it? or? I don't know. Oh, I, that's that's great. But it's a four-issue miniseries com, you know, combining the two uh, franchises. And, uh, Those are always a fun. New toy. The Why Back didn't to the I future, think of that? The Back to the Future comic book that Bob Gale did uh, over this, I think it was two years in like 15, 16, was actually really good. There's it was. Great good. stories in there. So, all right, let's take a little break and come back with our next topic. Hi there, this is the Manster, one of your humble hosts from Pina Comics Podcast. What is Pina Comics, you say? Fair question. Pina Comics is a weekly pop culture podcast with a mission. A mission to explore humankind's greater geekdom and report our findings back to you listeners every week. We explore movies, games, TV shows comics, local events and conventions, and so much more. We'll tell you just what we think of all the stuff that makes life fun, or at least bearable, and hopefully make you laugh, chortle, cackle, bust a gut, or even just chuckle while doing it. So join me and my fellow hosts, Ganache and Sir John, every week. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or whatever podcatching app you like to stuff inside that little phone of yours. Listen in. Show nine, feeling fine. We are back from break. Thank you, John Amenta, for sending that new promo for Pint Doe Comics. And, you know, um, if you're sick of listening to us, which I wouldn't doubt, um, listen to our friends. Pint of Comics, Ghost of the Stratosphere, 430 movie, Inglorious Trexperts, and Best Movies Never Made. They are good shows. And there's a lot of other good shows out there, too. Um, just The list will just keep getting longer and longer, but... Anyway, um, so we're back here uh, with uh, Jude, Edson, hey. and Pete. Hi. And um, 
you guys remember when you got sick, quote unquote sick, and you stayed home from school and you'd lay on the couch and watch game shows until the soap operas took over? Very fondly, actually. Yeah, it seems like those have all gone away, you know? Like, you don't see the wall-to-wall game show thing anymore. Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, I mean, yeah, soap operas are still a thing, but game shows, yeah, now that you mention it, they've, 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 kinda, they've kind of fluttered away. Right. I mean, you know, they say things like The Amazing Race or Survivor are game shows, but are they really, or are they just they're reality e- TV veiled as game they're shows? They're evolved to game shows. Yeah, sure they are. They unevolved. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> That's so, <laughs> highly scripted game shows. So, you know, and you have Game Show Network and Buzzer and things like that. And, but, you know, they have a couple new shows, but they don't seem as, I don't know about you, but like when I'm watching Game Show Network and one of their new ones comes on, I turn the channel. I'd rather watch old family feuds. Alan brought up uh, a great topic about game shows and kind of where have they gone and why have they gone. And um, I think it's a great, great, uh, a great topic. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Engineer Alan. Anytime. (laughs) So... Um, I, I found this article on tvguide.com, and I'll put it on our social media and whatnot. But um, there's a the top ten. We'll run down the top ten. I got a few factoids, and I'll just throw stuff out at you guys, and we'll spitball this. this. Um, number ten is the Newlywed Game, uh, created by Chuck Barris, known for the Gong Show. I miss the Gong Show. The Gong, I love show. The Gong show. Remember the Gong Show movie? I do. What? 1980, the Gong Show movie. What? Yeah. No, it's true. I know there was a movie called The Quiz Show, right? Quiz Show is a great film. It's based on a game show called 21. Uh-huh. Ch- Chuck Barris, it, it launched in July 11th, 1966. It featured Bob Eubanks as the youngest game show host ever. Really? Yeah. Uh, in 1977, it went into syndication. And then in 1988, Paul Rodriguez took over. In 96, a guy named Gary Kroger took over as host. And then in 2009, Game Show Network launched their own version with Carney Wilson as host. But... The Newlywed Game. Anybody remember watching that? Vaguely, vaguely. I know that uh, this is a slightly different, uh, slightly different show, but I remember um, the Dating Game. Also a Chuck Barris production. Also a Chuck Barris. Excellent. Okay, but very, very similar. Where they would ask, ask, where you you ask like oddball questions Correct. about. Uh, about you know where's the strangest place you made whoopee and stuff like that. I do know that there was a serial killer who made it onto the dating game. That's awesome. A serial killer named Rodney Alcala. Rodney who, Alcala. Which I didn't. I I know nothing about, but they do have the internet on computers, so <laughs> our 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 loyal audience can look it up if you are interested in serial killer Rodney Alcala, who wow. actually was on the dating game as That's a contestant. Cool. I don't that know could if he. Be a question on Jeopardy. Ooh, look at that. You like that, huh? Yeah, there you go, Jude. <laughs> and if you've had too much of serial killers, uh, getting back to the Lillywood <laughs> game, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do remember watching that as, a, as more like a, as a family and just enjoying the heck out of the way um, the couples used to give each other dirty looks. <laughs> Usually the wife giving the husband dirty looks when he missed an obvious question that he should know. Exactly, uh, yeah. And, and like hitting them over with that. What was that placard that they write their names? Yeah, they had those on? oversized cue cards that. Yeah, they're like they were like novelty checks. They were so big. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine. What's my line? Simple concept. Uh, celebrities question a stranger and try to guess which is his or her job. So hmm. um, you okay. know, a lot of celebrities were on Sounds that. Kind of debuted in 1950. 
called yeah, it was called Occupation Unknown originally, and then they changed the name. The host was Char- John Charles Daly. 1968, it was taken over by Wally Bruner, and it ran till 1975, the last three years, with Larry Blyden as host. So, anybody remember that one? No. Not in the slightest. I, oh. I feel like I'm completely out of that hole. There were uh, hundreds of celebrities on that. Um, no. Basically, do you remember, Edson? They would, they would remember, ask yeah. questions, and like at the end, they'd say, with the real plumber or whatever. And then the three guys would stand up like a little bit, and then finally the... They were basically lying about who they were. Yep, and there was yep. one was telling the truth and the other ones were lying. It was a good show. Number eight, password. I the password is this. Yes. pizza. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Alan, we're going back a ways. These are all 60s, 70s shows, right? Well, here's a little factoid. The host, Alan Ludden, met his wife, Betty White, on the set of oh this, this show. The Betty White? Yeah, the, Betty, the White. Betty White. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. So he was the first host and uh, debuted in 1962. He died in 1981. He was succeeded by Tom Kennedy, and it turned into Password Plus in 1979. Burt Convy in 1984, Super Password. And Regis Philbin took over in 2008 when it became Million Dollar Password. Regis. Sorry. So, you know, long-running show. Anybody remember that? I saw one recently on Game Show Network with Barbara Eden was on it. Oh, you're going back a ways. Yeah. You're way back away. Yeah. What, what age does she look like at that game? She was in genie mode. Yeah. Oh, wow. She was beautiful. Yeah. It's a great show. What's funny is how it's a difficult game because you have to kind of, you know, you have a word and you have to try to get them to guess the word without, without giving saying, it away. Right. right. It's it's not easy. Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. I think this is coming back to me now. You know, like if, say we were playing Pete and I knew the, the word was rock and you had to try to guess it, I would say like stone, gravel. Isn't, wait, isn't that the... To get no, you to say rock. It was the pyramid. What was that one? Thousand dollar pyramid. Thousand, yeah, that's right. Thousand dollar pyramid. Yeah, that kind of had the same. It yeah, kind of wove thing, that right? into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not on our... It's farther on the list, but it's not in the top 10. Number seven was Hollywood Squares. Oh, yeah. We all remember Hollywood Squares. That was, that was pretty recent. That, that was going up till pretty recently, wasn't it? October 17th, 1966, with host Burt Parks in the 80s. 86 to 89 was John Davidson. Remember John I, Davidson? Yep. And, and that's uh, incredible. 1998 and 2000 to 2004, Tom Bergeron from America's Funniest Home Videos took uh, over. Yes. Um, but the, the 60s and 70s versions were the most popular. They had Peter Marshall, Rosemarie, Charlie Weaver, and who could forget Paul Lind? Paul Lind in the center square. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, that was the idea was that they would ask, you'd pick a square, you're right. playing tic-tac-toe. It's tic-tac-toe, basically. And the celebrity in the square you picked would tell you either a correct or a false answer to your question, and or to the host to, question. And then you had to guess if they, were, if they were lying to you or not, and if you were correct in that assumption that they were lying or not, then you would get either the X or the L. Correct. Okay, I do remember this. And if you were wrong, the, you, you get, get the, the opponent, opponent, the opponent got, got the oh. square. Right. Uh, number six is the only modern game show on this top ten list. It's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Mm-hmm. The uh, 1999, August 16th, 1999, uh, only ran for till 2001. Really? Regis Philbin. <laughs> Insanely popular, and it was actually stolen from a UK, uh, oh, really? UK oh, game right. show. You're absolutely right. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. And then in uh, September of 2002, Meredith Vieira relaunched it in syndication, and it's still running today. Is it still running? I think so. Yeah, I, mean, I see it. I, I see it. I haven't seen that in years. But um, yeah, that was a pretty popular show. It was always kind of funny though. Like you know, it started like you had the dollar question, 
Which would, <laughs> it would be yeah. like, and when they messed it up, that was the it would be like, thing. You know, like, yeah. you're a dumbass. You know, no, that's like the simplest question you could, you could yeah. have. It would be like, what is not a number? One, yeah. seven, nine, or green? You know, and... <laughs> And uh, you had those two things. You got, I'd like, like to ask the, the audience. audience. <laughs> yeah, the right. audience, and then call somebody at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was kind of cool. The half, half and I half always wonder if they it? didn't pick up what would happen. They're like, oops. Does that ever happen? Did they didn't know what I don't remember up. that happening. But I think <laughs> what's most memorable to me about it, too, is the production value. It was like, like a prison bombastic and oh yeah, like yeah. and all the light changes. <laughs> yeah, very dramatic yeah, lighting the big, changes. The, the big sweeping camera yeah. moves. Right, right. The lights used to come down. Yeah, suspenseful music as you got to the right. They had that little heartbeat music while they're thinking. That's right. Yeah, I remember a guy that won it all, and he got to the last question, and he's like, "Well, I like to call call home." It was one of his lifelines. It was just to tell his, his father, "I just won. I, I know what the answer is. I just wanted to let you know." Oh, that's <laughs> and he, awesome! And then he went out to answer the question. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. He didn't want any help. I think what made it work, and I've seen the Meredith Vieira versions, and it's fine as a game show, but um, it was Regis. Regis just had that personality, and he was just that likable. Yeah, but I always thought William Shatner should have been the host. <laughs> do Do you think this is the right question? Tell I me. don't know. Number Who five. A millionaire. Who wants Come to on a down, millionaire? Jude Breidenbach. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. <laughs> Number five. Uh, who, who doesn't know how that game works, right? So um, debuted in memories. 1956 with a host wow. named Bill Cullen. Ran to 1965 with him, and it rebooted in 1972 to present, of course, with Bob Barker going mm-hmm. all the way Get until... Get your pet spayed or neutered. Yeah, until Drew Carey took over. Yep. So... Um, Number four, Match Game. Everyone remember Match Game, right? Match Gene game. Rayburn, he had that little microphone that was like four feet tall. Sort of. Really Oh, yeah, thin. with a little tiny ball on the end yeah, of it? Yeah, the little ball on the end of it. Oh, okay. So, you know, and they had like two rows of celebrities. They were all like D-list celebrities, too. Um, you know, and they were all like mugging for the camera and trying to like up their value somehow. And The only one who took the game seriously back then was Richard Dawson. He really right. wanted the people to win. Everybody else was just mugging it up. Um, but you know, they'd always he'd pull a question out and he'd say, you know, dumb door is so dumb. How dumb is she? Like, you know, <laughs> well, she went to go to the store and forgot to bring her blank. You know, and so basically, the celebrities would try to fill in the blank, so, yep. and right. then the contestant would try to match to the celebrities. I think Family Guy did a, a great joke on that. It's like forgetful, forgetful Gary is so forgetful that when he forgot something, he drew a blank. <laughs> So it debuted in 1962 on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, and this is interesting, too. In, in They have these on the Game Show Network, and I've seen them also on Buzzer. In 1983 through 84, they merged with Hollywood Squares and it became the match game Hollywood Squares Hour. And it would start with Gene Rayburn doing match game, and then it would transition. And the host of the Hollywood Squares version was John Bauman. Anybody recognize that name? John Bauman? From our childhood? No. no. Alan, what about you? You recognize the name John Bauman? It's familiar. I'll give you a hint. He's tall and he's got a deep voice. Dark hair. He wasn't the drummer of Led Zeppelin, right? No, but you're on the right track. <laughs> it, it does have to do with music. He was Bowser from Sha Na Na. Oh, wow. no oh kidding. My. Yes. Yes, he was. Never knew his name. So, and... Uh, Game Show Network actually did a documentary in 2006 called uh, The Real Match Game Story. 
uh, fill in the blank or something like that. So um, I, I want to find that and watch it because I love I watch Match Game all the time. Actually, Amazon Prime has them. You can just watch them, binge watch all the old Match Games oh, from the seventies. No yeah, yeah. You know, it always had uh, what's his face, the Brett Summers, Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> and Richard Dawson. Oh, no, Riley. Yes, and Richard. <laughs> while we're on Richard Dawson, number three, Family Feud. Survey says. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, it debuted July 12, 1976, with uh, serial kisser Richard Dawson as host. And then went through uh, a litany of hosts from there. Um, including uh, Ray Combs, Richard Karn, Louis Anderson for a while, John O'Hurley, Hartford's own, John O'Hurley, Mr. Peterman from Seinfeld, and uh, finally to um, current host Steve Harvey. Right. Steve, yeah. I think Steve Harvey's sensational. And, and through all those eras, they kept changing the set to the point where it didn't even resemble Family Feud anymore. Like, set-wise, it was just... They got too techy with it. And I like how with... Steve Harvey, they kind of brought it back to its roots, and it looks a lot like the original version now. The um, music to Family Feud has been eternally stuck in my head. Yes. So the first thing that I thought of was when you mentioned Family Feud was the damn music. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, first, the people think of that, they think of Survey Says, and the yeah. third thing they think of is Richard Dawson making out with every single like woman on Pablo. the set. Pablo. I automatically think about him. Like, and, so you know, in this age of, uh, you know, all these um, people, the SJWs and, the you know, the people uh, constantly offended by things, they did bring up the Richard Dawson family feud recently. And just so they know, um, every woman who went on that show signed a waiver to allow him to kiss really? them. No and I heard of that. No way. And yep. many of them requested that he kiss them. That's so, what I heard, that they actually that was actually requested. Right. Yep. So do your homework, uh, before complainers, you, before, before you start complaining some. about shit you don't know about. Number two, Wheel of Fortune. Wheel, Wheel of Fortune. Which is still on the air with the original... The original host and hostess, if I'm not mistaken. Well, no, they're not the original. Um, it debuted January 6, 1975. And, really? Yeah, it's a Merv Griffin show. And um, Chuck Woolery was the original host really? with Susan Stafford. Oh. And then in 1981, actually have the date, December 28, 1981, they replaced them with Pat Sajak and Vanna White. Vanna White. And they're still there to this day. So they're like the longest. Besides, I think with Jeopardy, they're the longest running. Uh, and Jeopardy would be our number one, Jude. Oh, Jeopardy's our number one game right show that, here. Yeah. You did uh, debuted March thirtieth, nineteen sixty four, and then to nineteen seventy five, and then it joined Late Night in the seventies. It had a couple runs in the seventies. Uh, in Late Night, the current edition debuted September tenth, nineteen eighty four, and that's with Alex Trebek. The all the way up from sixty four to eighty four was a guy named Art Fleming was the host. So Trebek one. has oh. been uh, there since 1984. Oh, always uh, watching it to, to learn something. You know, <laughs> and, and, and I I know this goes a little bit off, but I, I love the uh, skits that Saturday Night Live made out of. The, the, that's my favorite part of Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah, they had some the good ones. The skits they Turd made Ferguson. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Turd Ferguson. Sean Connery was the funniest thing. Yes, was. yes. You know who's really good at Jeopardy is Angelo. If you uh, sit at Eastside Pizza with Jeopardy on, he starts rattling off wow. the answers. And I'm, I'm convinced he's just seen them all over and over <laughs> again. Uh, he's really good at it. It's, yeah. it's uncanny how good it is, he is at that. Yeah, you do find, kind of feel good when you like, blurt out something really obscure. And then you just, yeah. I'm a genius. Yeah, and the whole room goes. 
It's like, how what? the heck did I know that? Yeah. It was like <laughs> osmosis or something. I knew, someone talked about it once in a Who is Shakespeare? Subway. Oh my God, I'm a genius. <laughs> so out of these 10, and there's you know 60 on the list, but out of these 10, nine of them were created in the 60s and 70s. So what does that say about game shows? Well, you know, I'm surprised because I grew up in a different era in the 80s, and uh, Double Dare was really popular. Double Dare. Let's see if that's on I'm surprised on Double Dare's not on there because they used to do well, a it's Double not Dare. top 10, Jude. They used to do a Double Dare for kids. Double Dare afternoon. is top 60. It's right here. Oh, it's top 60? Yeah. And then they used to do a Family Double Dare, which was... Uh, Later on in the evening. And I used to like Joker's Wild. Remember Joker's Wild? Joker's uh, Wild. I don't remember that one. No. Yeah, this But they, there was a while, I think they used to have some game shows that were aimed towards family. Uh, I you think know, like they're Double all Dare. aimed towards uh, family. Yeah, but a little bit more, you know, like Double Dare, the, you had to get your parents to go through an obstacle, and if they didn't do it right, they got slimed. So, I mean, kids like to see that stuff. But <laughs> there, is, there is a new one now called The Floor yes, is the floor Lava. The Floor is Lava. Really? It's on the Netflix right now. Yep. Oh, My yep. friend watches that with his kids, and his kids love it. And so, you know, they're, you know those were probably popular back when I was growing up. But um, And then, of course, uh, later on, the terrible uh, game shows, I guess you want to call them, The Bachelor and... The rest of all those those became yeah, but those are more replacements, I think, of the late night game shows. Well, yeah. the the Bachelor's not on this list of sixty, believe it or not. I'm stunned. Right. How about concentration? Is that concentration on? is okay. here? I always love concentration. Card sharks, dating game, yeah. deal or no deal. There's some good ones on here. What was one with the whammies? Oh, uh, yeah. that was. Um, yeah, that's right. I just saw. I remember it. that show. Uh, press your luck. Press your luck. Yeah, yeah. And the, that I, is think, here. I think Snoop Dogg is currently hosting that one. Yep. 21 is on here, which is the uh, inspiration for the movie Quiz Show, uh, the rigged game show, famous rigged game show. Yep. If you've never seen the movie Quiz Show by Robert Redford, look it up. It came out in 1994. It's fabulous. I used to watch The uh, Weakest Link with my, uh, with my mom, too. Remember that show? Yeah. You're the Weakest Link. Yeah. And what was the one with the briefcases? Where they, they deal or no deal. Deal, deal or no, no deal. deal. Right. My daughter loves that. There, there's a video game. Yes, at, the video um, game's uh, great. It, uh, Dave and Buster's. Busters yeah. was, she loves that game. Isn't yeah. it fun? I play it all the time, too. <laughs> uh, it, it's so much fun. I, I like the ones that made you think. You right. know? I mean, some of these that are, that are uh, frivolous are fun, too. But you know, I always like the ones that made you think. I always like the Family Feud. Although Family Feud, they'd survey 100 people, and sometimes you'd be like, where did that what come three from? people what are, are so stupid? Like, you know, at the bottom, there was some dumb, nobody ever got it. And you know what the trick to Family Feud is that none of them ever caught on? If you win at the beginning, when you win that the showdown at the front, pass you to the always, other team. You always wind up. <laughs> they always say, oh, we're going to play. You never clear that board. There's always some asinine answer on there. You're <laughs> never going to find in a bathroom. Uh, lawnmower. Show me lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> Ding. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's the, you know. It's it's hilarious. I do think Richard Dawson was a great host in my favorite uh, TV show uh, or game show, The Running Man. There you go, The <laughs> Running Man. <laughs> well, we will have to revisit this topic down the road, but I will post this article, the top 60 game shows on our social media. And as Chuck Woolery would say on uh, Love Connection, we'll be back in two and two. of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews and the <laughs> 
Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith, as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. You can find us under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website, www.gotstratosphere.com. Hope to see you soon, folks. It was the three-legged dog of comics. It was bad. These two gentlemen met in jail, and then when they got out, they started publishing. It should have been mobsters instead of doing what they do in comics. Management there was questionable at times. Some of it has to do with people who go to jail. We are sinners. We have corrupted the youth. Stuff that should never have been sold to kids. And then there was Charlton. I couldn't quite tell what they were doing. Charlton was just a hodgepodge of weird titles. What is this? Who am I dealing with? John threw nickels around like they were manhole covers. C.A. TAP. They were cheap. Hell yes, they're cheap. They were a special kind of special is what they were. Critic was horrible. You could smell them beginning to decay even as they were rolling off the press. At one point, they actually did have to move the comics operation into a bowling alley. It's something out of a sitcom. We want to publish comic books in the worst way, and they did. It's been called the street fighting cousin of Marvel and DC. Maybe you've heard of them. Probably not. But you do know the industry legends that called it home. This is Charlton Comics. Follow at charltonmovie.com. Oh, it's going to suck. Back, 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 back. We are back, and uh, we're we're Baby, on our last. Back. <laughs> there you go, nice dude. <laughs> we're on our last segment here, and uh, it's not the years; it's the mileage, gang. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to throw this out there. This is another uh, topic Alan brought up, producing the show for us today. That. Um, you know, you hear catchphrases like that all the time. You use catchphrases like that all the time in daily life. You know, for example, if um, we're going to do a video shoot and we're putting up the lights and I turn around and stare right into a 1K, I say, I looked at the trap, Ray, and everyone on set laughs. They know exactly where that's from and they know exactly what I did. Um, so, you know, what are some of the things that you say and do in your everyday life that ties back to something from your childhood or even recent pop culture that that you might know that everyone you're around might know or may not know but but they're familiar with the saying you know can you think of any i, oh, I could go through some and you guys can he's guess. dead jim you know everyone okay. knows he's dead jim yeah, okay yeah. so there's no place like home what's that from <laughs> no it's, it's not not getting that one. <laughs> can you be more specific Oh my God! How about it's alive? It's alive! Yeah, right. I mean, you, you know, can but, go on, but go ahead. But do you well, use <laughs> use things in in everyday life? You know? Yeah, I certainly use. Uh, it's not the years, it's the mileage, quite a bit. Yeah, me too. It, it's, it, not everybody necessarily knows where it's from, but they've they've heard it. It's like, oh. yeah, it's 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 from that thing. I know it's with a, that guy, with that guy with the head and then the, the hands. <laughs> what is it from? I don't know. What? It's from Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, Jude, you were telling us off mic when your mother would tell you to... Yeah, so anytime my mom uh, would ask me to do something, you know, around the house, and I'd be just out the door, you know, going over a friend's house or something, I'd say, no time time for love, Dr. Jones. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Ed? One of these days... She uh, never knew where it came from, but... I'll I'll actually have my teenage daughter watch it because she doesn't get it, but, you know, teenagers, they're all into their own thing, and I... 
passed by and it's like, what are you doing? Uh, what do you want for dinner? And, she, and I was like, Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, there you go. And she's like, what are you talking about? How many times? <laughs> Is that supposed you... to be an insult or whatever? And I always love the classic from Airplane. And I use it at work all the time. Surely like, you uh, must be kidding. <laughs> well, there's a lot of them, yeah. Don't uh, go the, on. One I, the one I use all the time at work and get a laugh is... Um, Looks like I picked the wrong time to stop sipping glue. glue. I, I, uh, <laughs> things go wrong. I just recently used, uh, have you ever been in a Turkish prison on someone? So, yeah. <laughs> Alan has one. Mashu. Mashu. <laughs> and damn it, Jim. <laughs> damn it, Jim's a good one, yeah. And I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Things like, uh, you're gonna, we're going to need a bigger boat. There you go. If you build it. They he will come. He will come or they will come. They will come. Yeah. How often do you catch yourself singing farewell and adieu to you, dear Spanish ladies? <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle the truth, Pete. Oh, there you go. Ooh, Bond. Right. James Bond. Yeah, it's um but here's what I wanna again, much like the previous segment, a lot of these lines we're referencing come from days of yore, you know. Great Scott Marty. Um, they're from the past. I, do you, can you think of memorable lines from anything that's come out in the last 15 years? Yes. Is there anything that has really stuck besides anything that might have come out of Robert Downey Jr.'s mouth? My precious. Oh, there. Oh, <laughs> yes. All right. You know what? <laughs> Mic drop. Gotcha. <laughs> but it, it, seriously, though, I mean, if you look at the last 20 years, let's just go back to the year 2000, how many memorable lines from movies or television have gone out, have stuck in our daily lexicon like the like the old ones have. Mm. Not many, if any. I, I can't mean, think of any. I can't no, either. No, I'm, I'm drawing a complete... I can think of Captain America and Winter Soldiers using a lot... Well, uh, Black we Widow. Shall we play a game? And she starts to explain it to him. He's like, no, I got it. You remember that's from War Games, <laughs> yep, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and just like the but, Flying Monkeys line is, is a reference to Wizard of Oz. And even My Precious is 20 years old. Right. Yeah. Well, right. To Infinity and Beyond, is that... No, that's okay. No, that's different. still kind of... 1995. Yeah. But. I, it's, I'm, I'm just, you know, my brain is just breaking right now, just scrambling through <laughs> the years trying to figure out, you know, as good as the Marvel movies are, are they going to stand the test of time? I don't think they are. I honestly don't think they are. I don't think 30 years from now people are going to be excited to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're definitely not quotable. They're not. They're not very quotable. I mean, the, the more humorous ones are kind of like, you know. Like that man is playing Galaga is probably the only thing from any Marvel movie I can think yeah, of. But, but that's not one that you're going to still don't really... hold water compared to the no. like older no, and qu- I, pop, turn, you know, pop, whatever, quotes. Or... This past weekend we saw Ghostbusters. And we were quoting right along with oh, Ghostbusters. Yeah. And we looked to our left and there's Harry Potter and behind us is Deadpool. And I think I made the same observation. Um, you know, are these movies going to hold up it, like Ghostbusters. We're watching a 35-year-old movie, you know, and, mm. and will will those kind of movies be around in 35 years? Will people be quoting those movies in 35 years? Any of the Marvel movies or any of this stuff. I mean, when you quote Star Wars, you quote... May the Force be with you. The original three, right? Yeah. I thought they smelled bad on the outside, mm-hmm. right, right? You know, I am your father. <laughs> right, right. Everyone says I'm your father, or you, or or you're not my father. Right. right. So you know um, things like that. I, I I don't know. I'm always curious to know if when the movies were you know when they were written, they wrote these scripts, whether or not those those were going to become famous lines. You know what I mean? Because some of them are just brilliant. No, they really are. And you know, I mean, there's Quentin Tarantino is a master storyteller, and he's a phenomenal scriptwriter, and he writes. 
many clever lines. I mean, he writes, you know, but even those movies, do you do you think you'd be quoting anything from those? Bring out the gimp? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. That is a good one. Yeah, I'm I'm having a complete brain fart here trying to think of anything Within the past twenty years, that's 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 as quotable as as airplane or Ghostbusters or Jurassic or Park. Hang on to your butts. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. Even then, that's not a that's not a recent movie. So let me throw this out to you guys: What is it about those old movies that are so quotable? Is it is it us? Is I it because ask, yeah. is it because they made an impact on us as young adults? I, think, I was going to ask: okay. Is there a generational thing to it? Like where our generation it just hits us. I think music in movies, like like especially Disney movies, like Frozen and stuff, I think the songs are more reminiscent of having something that would get stuck in your head than older movie quotes. Because that stupid Frozen song, yeah, it gets stuck in my head. If I hear it, it's stuck in my head the whole day. Let me ask let you this. Let it go. Is that the name of the yeah, song? Yeah, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. All right, let me ask um, you this. <laughs> which, which one is dug further into your brain, that or the song from Titanic? Frozen, definitely. <laughs> but I, 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 going back to you, Edson, I think you're onto something there. Is it just a generational thing? Are we just are we looking through our, our rose colored glasses at our past, and are the current movies just as quotable and just as fun to someone who's watching them? Like we saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, were you know what, twelve, thirteen years old. Is someone who's twelve or thirteen now watching Captain America just gonna start? repeating that it'll be interesting to find out as you know like i you know i have a like i said i have a teenage daughter is she, is she gonna start quote i mean she does this all the time on movies that we watch together but it's not like she's just quoting it because she's just watched it and she wants to relive the, how sure it was and sure. how we enjoyed it together but is she gonna do that you know 20 years from now when she has a, a kid and i'm like uh, you know babysitting my grandson or daughter or whatever, and she's going to say that then from these movies? I don't know. And it's not just quoting it, though. It's using it in context right. while you're doing uh, performing a task or at work or something like that. I, I wonder if it's because we're kind of the first generation that wanted to watch movies over and over again. <laughs> think, of all of our, think of all of our parents. Did, does any of your parents ever want to see a movie a second time? No. No. Nope. No. We were the first generation, I think, that latched onto it and and embraced these things as the art that they are, and we got to know them backward, forward, inside, and out. Well, we also had the the ability to watch them multiple times due to a home video. Home video, right? So we could see that's older. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But even in the theater, we were the first generation that wanted to go back to the theater multiple times and right. see that movie again. You know, I remember sitting in the theater all day and watching Return of the Jedi three times in the same day. Mm. You know. I don't think you know the previous generations really cared to do that. There was certainly a a, a a a a type of kid that would go and see like the B movies like five or six times. Sure, you know but, that's true. But it wasn't it wasn't as so so widely accepted that you could see a movie more than more than once. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm just well, thinking. You know, you go see Creatures of the Black Le- Creature from the Black Lagoon more than once. But what's the line from there you remember? I mean, I know Look, it's the it's the creature walk faster. Right. I know I'm probably going in a different direction than this, but is it just that movies today aren't written very well? Well, that that's that's, <laughs> that's where so I was going. All the visuals are just all over the place, and people just want to see constant, you know, 
visual stimulation as opposed to actually listening to good dialogue. And I, I think it's also, I totally agree with you, but I think it's also when you said well, the art generation, we went to watch a movie and we probably went with a bunch of friends and what were we doing right after the movie and maybe the rest of that right. day? Talking now, about it. What, are the, what do people do today? As soon as they're out of that theater, they're into the smartphone, what's the latest Twitter? What's a, they're, they're not reliving it like we did, I think. That's, that's a really good point too. They have oh. so many distractions. They're on their phones during the movie. I mean, well, <laughs> that's Keith, you and I saw, yeah. saw Godzilla and, uh, oh, and yeah. it was... It oh, was uh, okay. You know, whenever people were talking, they were on their phones, and as soon as the monsters started punching each other, the phones went down. Right. So, which combines both of what maybe the movie wasn't well written, and people aren't, don't have that much of attention. Well, look at what the top grossing films are now. They're Fast and the Furious sequels and things like that. That just they're brainless. How about I, I don't know. How about it's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, oh hi, hi Mark. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. People are more attracted today to the flashing, to the explosions, to the, all the bullets flying. Well, that's what I mean. The you know, is it just not good stories? Right. They, it's just is dialogue just lacking in a lot of movies now, yeah. and it's lazy. Recently, I went on Pine of Comics and did we did an hour and a half deep dive into Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and that's a movie with no tentpole action in it whatsoever. I think the most action is when the uh, they go into the wormhole and they almost crash into an asteroid. For five minutes. For, right. So, again, you know, that would never fly these days. That movie is really, really well done. It's a great story. I think it's one of the best Star Trek movies ever made. But you, you try to get a modern audience to sit through that. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, you could be onto something with that. Characters it's, aren't compelling. Um, the story isn't doesn't draw right. you in today uh, most, most of the time. No. It uh, uh, doesn't make you think about you in that situation uh, which which i used to do all the time in the in the older movies uh, well yeah i mean out of all the new star wars movies can you quote any lines that ray said or even want to or even remember no i they're very forgettable films right and that's the weird thing because all the other three original films have a lot of quotes that you you know would want to quote to somebody hey, and one it's of me the, right <laughs> one of the things that uh i pointed out when we were had, Jude and Keith and I went and saw Ghostbusters this this week, the original Ghostbusters from from '84. And something that I had noticed is that there there it's not full of quips. Nobody is mm-hmm. is all of all of the movies nowadays. A, a good character is always on. They're always making these 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 snarky comments, witty, yeah. And 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 it's it's a constant thing. Whereas the original Ghostbusters, it all came out of the the characters. You know, it was it was uh, you know Bill Murray was in character when he when he was saying things like, oh, but yes, but you said crossing the streams was bad. Yeah. It was it was all you know there 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 wasn't a constant barrage of dick jokes. Right, and a lot of those lines were improv too. They just kept the cameras rolling, and he would do a one liner. But the, the, what worked with Ghostbusters the original was that they were real people reacting to extraordinary circumstances in the 2016 remake. They were reacting unnaturally to unnatural right. circumstances, right. and I just watched the Red Letter Media review of Ghostbusters 2016 again last night. And the scenes that they juxtapose um, to prove their point is the the scene where the police van pulls up outside the Ghostbusters firehouse, and Janine Melnitz opens the door and says, "Dropping off a picking up, <laughs> dropping off." <laughs> yeah. One moment, and it's just so natural because it's like, oh, this is a light daily. This is what goes on all the time. They come by with some weirdo who's possessed or whatever, and then they talk about how in the 2016 version, someone's at the door of the office, and Melissa McCarthy 
while walking to the door. Oh, I hope it happened days last time. They rest up my order. And joke, 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 talk, 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 talk. Shut the hell up. And that's the whole problem. Like you said, Pete, they're always switched on. And they feel like they have to fill these little gaps of silence with nonsense dialogue and and bad jokes, like really lowbrow humor. Let the dialogue breathe. There's nothing Let wrong. Let the pacing with, breathe. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of space between what you say. Look at these J.J. Abrams Star Treks where <sighs> they're running on the walls and they're every they're running everywhere they go and it's just constant. It's just rapid fire, mile a minute. It just doesn't. Even when they're talking, they're they're sprinting or jumping or something. They're just they don't take a minute to just stop and talk. Well, like I was saying earlier, audiences nowadays just don't seem to have. The attention span. No, they know. don't. The, the, the phones will come out, or you'll, you'll, you'll fast forward through, through something until something blows up. You know, th- then the phones go away. Right. And it's probably why there aren't so memorable quotes of, of anything, because there's very little dialogue in modern films. Well, you're not absorbing anything worth any, anything. I think your point is really well taken. It's in that they're not thinking about it. They're not absorbing what they just saw after the fact. They come out and they're right onto the next bit of entertainment. I need more stimulation, oh, yeah. more stimulation, yep. Yep. more, 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 more. But some of these quotes are timeless. I mean, some of these people put these quotes on their gravestone. You know, like, there's no place like home or any stuff like that. Like, these quotes have some serious impact for people. They actually, you know, they're they're absorbed with these quotes. They're part of their. Well, life, I'm going right? to use a quote from Pulp Fiction right now. Let's not just start sucking each other's dicks <laughs> quite yet. All right. <laughs> but no, but I'm serious. Like, there's no place like home. I mean, you know, to some people, you say that. Like, Wizard of Oz. For some people, it's it's. it's Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I mean, there's so yeah, many there's so to go many. back. You know, I mean, twas you know, beauty that killed the beast. There you go. Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're timeless quotes, you know, and they're just one sentence that that could trigger a reaction for some people. Trigger a lot of memories. Yeah, a lot of memories, right? In, yep. So that's pretty that's pretty powerful stuff. I think the answer is we need to get a youngin into one of these conversations and find out how they perceive the last 20 years of, of creative art, if you will. To me, I think a lot of it's just disposable cash grab. There's tentpole movies in the summer to make billions, especially overseas. They're targeting the overseas market, so they make really like face-level humor, stuff that doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to figure out. Mm. Um, and, and they just, they're, they're dumbing down the medium just to reach a broader audience and pocket more money. Yeah, poop jokes translate into any language. Right. Right. And is th- are those dumbed down, you know, movies making that generation even dumber? I mean, I, yeah. I'm wondering if there's an effect to that. Um, to th- I mean, I know there was no quote from this to the, from this particular show t- I watched today, but I found myself watching um, <laughs> a Twilight Zone episode, <laughs> uh, like I always do, uh, uh, almost every day, because they they're timeless to me. And it was called the sh- it was a from the season three, The Shelter. Do you remember The Shelter? Oh, that's a great There episode. is absolutely nothing. There's no time traveling theory. There's no explosions. There's no like space space uh, ships or aliens. But yet it it was so compelling. Those characters had so much depth to them. And in a, in a short 23-minute story, uh, that's incredible. I, I couldn't get an, enough of it. It's a great episode. It's about uh, impending nuclear holocaust. And the one neighbor has a bomb shelter and all the other neighbors are trying to get in there. Yes. They yes. have to be selective oh, yes. about it. Yes. And, and the way they were all... Fr- all uh, 
ready best to eat friends. each other. They were right. best friends yeah. at the beginning of it, right. and then in like yeah. a like a switch, they turn on each other, and prejudice prejudices come out, and it's and it's so it seems so real, and it's still. Uh, it still works. It's still um, Today, yeah. contemporary. Yeah. All right, we got to wrap this thing up. We'll definitely have to come back to this topic again. And we should do comedian one-liners next time. There we go. Because there's tons of good comedian one-liners. Let's go counterclockwise around the table. Recommendations, Pedro. Well, I've been watching on on Comet, the TV station Comet. They've been running the old, the uh, the old, the remake. Of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, the 2004? The 2000, yes, the old 2004 <laughs> one. <laughs> Which. Uh, Ronald D. Moore. Uh, Ronald D. Moore from, from Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting take on post 9 11 America and, and, and a lot of the paranoia that's setting in because, like, you know, Cylons look human now. They aren't, they're not these, the, these killer robots, which means that anybody, even your neighbor, could be could be a Cylon so there's this nice nice um, bed of paranoia in this series and it's a it's it's a really good watch nice Edson oh continuing my similar theme of um, (laughs) recommending comic books what I have here is the first trade paperback of Ice Cream Man I don't know if you ever heard of that no no comics so uh, I just recently picked this up it's now on issue 19 so it's been around for about a year and a half What's different about this? It's it's each issue is its own contained story. It's like its oh, own story. It's old school. We're old school, right? <laughs> exactly old school. Because right now it's always the six issue arc or the twelve issue arc. Something like Postal Nailbiter tells a story over twenty five, thirty issues. And but it, I picked. I really didn't think I'd like it because I got used to having the the, the long story. But they're compelling stories, and they remind me a lot about. Of, of the Twilight Zone stories. Oh, basically. nice. And there's like a running theme with the ice cream man in it, but he's not, you don't really get w- why he's involved. He's kind of just he's like, like on the, the keeper. Outs- <laughs> yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nice. Yeah, those six, six issue arcs and 12 issue arcs yeah. are designed specifically for sales to a screenplay to mm-hmm. turn it into a film. So the ice cream man's like the host of each story. He's like the a, hitchhiker. He's a like the hitchhiker. he's actually a character in it, and and the other characters of the story kind of interact with him. And there's somewhere that something happens where you kind of start um, wondering if he's behind what's happening to the characters. Okay. But he he never shows he never shows his cards. So I'm still trying to figure that's, it out. That's interesting. Yeah, Jude. I've been watching Unsolved Mysteries, the, the Netflix. The reboot? Yeah, they, Netflix uh, rebooted them. And, of course, Raymond, I think it's Raymond Burr. Didn't he used to host those, the guy? No, it was um, Robert Stack. Robert, Robert Stack. Stack. What did I think Raymond Burr? Um, anyway. Uh, and Ultra they're, Magnus. They're okay. I can deal with that now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're okay. I mean, you know, they're, they're trying hard. But it's not like, you know, it's not like the older show in, uh, in the 90s. But yeah, they're okay. I mean, there's a lot of murder mysteries, but, you know. Good late night, you know, before bed TV. Right. For me, I'm going to um, talk about a documentary called, a band called Death. Oh, it's a yeah. great documentary. It's about this struggling, uh, well, they were a struggling uh, punk band in Detroit in the 1970s. What's so big about that? Well, they were black. Um, so instead of doing Motown, they were doing rockabilly punk. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and good one. they... Um, they never really made it, and they recorded one six-song EP, and they they put all their stuff into storage. And the band leader, who ended up dying, said, don't lose this stuff, because someday 
someone's going to find it and, and it's going to be huge. And that's exactly what happened. And they became hugely popular, I'd say, five or six years ago. They were touring all the time. And, oh, wow. Yeah. It's a, dude, you watch this documentary, you're going to want to run over and hug these guys. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good feel-good story. I highly recommend it. It's, it's really good. I remember you so. recommended it to me, and I watched it right away. It was unbelievable. Yeah. What was it's the name of it again? A Band Called Death. Mm-hmm. So. Nice. That's all the time we have for episode nine. Are we feeling fine? We'll find out. Depends on you, audience. So, for Jude, Edson, Pedro, and myself, Shitty Chicken, we will catch you guys out in the ether. Engage. They killed the giggler, man. They killed the giggler! They had no business doing that. None. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a 